This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Appreciate everybody listening. Hope you had a great weekend as we get set to close out this summer. Uh, in a summer like no other, I get it. We had no RNC. We had no DNC where we went on location. was able to bring you those up-close and personal interviews. We did the best we could. And we are seeing now post-convention. Now, after Labor Day, nobody can ever say there's still plenty of time. It's about 90 days until we have an election, until we have either the same president or new president. And, man, have things changed. If you, we were talking in June, things look pretty grim for the president. I don't get that sense at all right now. Uh, with us this, uh, this hour, uh, Byron York in about 10 minutes and John Rich. I want to get his analysis, uh, Byron York, of course, chief political correspondent of the Washington Examiner, Fox News contributor. Uh, so I don't want to take too much time away, but I would say, man, have things changed. And here's the analogy I used on Friday, which I'll use again today. There was a, a big boxing guy. And Sugar Ray Leonard, Pete, you'll remember this. Sugar Ray Leonard was was retired because he had the detached retina. And he was having lunch with Marvin Hagler. And Hagler was looking at him, and he noticed he wasn't drinking. He only had water. And he looked unbelievably trim. And he was wondering, is there something going on here? And next thing you know, within two weeks, Sugar Ray Leonard said, I've been training for the last six months. I'm coming back. And they ended up doing the fight that was the, one of the biggest upsets ever after being idle for this long. When you watch President Trump's speech and that convention, you saw a guy stick to the script to the point where people thought he was boring. But what he did is he hit his marks. What he's doing, what he did on, on uh, Thursday night was he had lunch with Marvin Hagler. He didn't drink. And he was at fighting weight. That's my analogy. Tell me what you think of it. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Across the country, colleges are struggling to contain clusters of COVID outbreaks. In Texas, Baylor University ordered 55 students, 21 of them positive, to reside in place on two floors of a dorm. One University of Alabama campus has reported more than 1,000 positive cases since classes began two weeks ago. Right, man, uh, conflict, corona clash. Not talking about targets. I'm not talking science, I'm talking social. Parents, teachers, students, lock horns about in-class learning. Colleges, outbreaks, warnings, and suspensions from universities yearning for some leadership globally. Unrest is ongoing over, going everywhere through Europe. Restrictions are driving people crazy, not just in America. There was riots in Germany, Switzerland, and the UK, just to name three. How do you balance health, life, and livelihoods in the age of the coronavirus? I'll offer my can't-miss approach in a moment. Number two. Mr. President. This is the first time in decades that America has seen this level of violence. It's you who have created the hate and the division. You want me to stop the violence that you helped create. What a joke. What a clown. Mayor Ted Wheeler blaming Trump 
for 90 days of unrest in Portland. I don't even think the president's even been to Portland. Why is Joe out of the basement? Riots in Kenosha to Portland to D.C. Protests morph into violence, and no one is okay with it, and no one's immune to it. And suddenly the Democrats realize you can't do what the mayor just did to the president. Blame it on the president because it is clear the president cannot control every city. In fact, he can't even provide security unless asked. Understand the Constitution. Number one. He said a week ago that he could win the election from home. He was asked that. He said, we will. We'll follow the science. Now he's going to go on a big campaign trip. Yeah, what's going on with that? Finally, Biden leaves his basement as President Trump looks to define him before he can define himself. We're going to talk post-convention bounce and the sprint to 11-3 as President hits his full stride, as I mentioned. All right. So Joe Biden's leaving. He's going to Pennsylvania to condemn the unrest in Kenosha and, of course, blame the president. This is Trump's America. Yeah, it's Trump's America. But we're also reasonable, rational human beings. So... You know the president has no control of what's happening in Seattle. They have no control of what's happening in Seattle. You know when he put the federal agents into Portland, the mayor blamed the president for the unrest. He pulled out and the unrest got worse when he was actually able to protect a federal building. Guess what? The American people know that. We're not waiting to see a 30-second ad. And guess what? Democrats now know that. And Biden now knows it because the unrest has got the suburbs unhappy and worried. And when they were walking through D.C. last night, Black Lives Matter and the groups affiliated with that, Antifa, and they're saying, do you don't snow justice and you don't sleep or whatever they decided to get paid to chant because I'm sure someone's paying them. You are going into people's homes who aren't racist, have nothing to do with the unrest, have nothing to do with George Floyd, and you're trying to ruin their lives. And guess what? The Republicans aren't telling you to do that. They're certainly not writing the checks to make it happen, and no extremist right-wing group is doing it. In fact, they've only showed up now because the cops have been defunded and demoralized and told to stand down, and they're trying to bring some law and order to a a law and uh, orderless street. So now... He is out and about. And I'm talking about Joe Biden. Remember when Joe Biden said this? You should. It was only August 23rd. Cut one. I understand the restrictions of COVID and campaigning in this time, but can you win a presidential election from home? We will. We're going to follow the science, what the scientists tell us. We've been able to travel places when we've been able to do it in a way that we don't cause the congregation of large numbers of people. Look what happens, what's happened with his his events. People die. Well, New Hampshire was fine, uh, and they came off on Saturday. The president's going to start doing it. They were in Washington on the lawn. The president's going to go win it. He's not going to sit there and pretend that Anthony Fauci knows how to run a campaign. He's there to run the pro, run the country, and the scientists should be taken into account. By the way, it should scare you that a presidential candidate is going to listen to scientists to run his country. They should be part of the decision process. Just for example, a general shouldn't say, this is exactly what I want to do when it comes to Afghanistan and Iraq and the next challenge overseas. You're the president. You listen to the experts from all sides, and then you make decisions. You are bailing out because you thought you won already, and you haven't. By the way, I thought this is very interesting. Betting odds now are almost a dead heat. One one month ago, 61% chance that Joe Biden wins. 
37% chance that Donald Trump wins. Now the betting odds are 50.6 for Biden, 49.2 for the president. We are in a dead heat now. And guess who understands that? Bill Maher, the lefty, HBO, cut nine. Maybe it's just their convention bump got to me. Yeah. But I'm feeling less confident than I was a month ago. I feel very nervous. Yeah. The same way I did four years ago at this time. They looked optimistic. They look like the country isn't falling apart, even though the country is falling apart. Um, and optimism very often wins elections. Elections, every politician will tell you, are, are is about the future. You know what I found most encouraging for the country? Forget about a candidate. I saw so many professional African-Americans who were Republican or going to vote for Trump like Jack Brewer. going to marry a man in Democrat, but going to vote for him. See that, that state lawmaker, uh, that state lawmaker in Georgia, African-American. He goes, I'm a Democrat. I, I'm going to stay with the party, but I'm voting for Trump. I just like his message. I like what he's done for the city. Uh, I think that when you have Herschel Walker come out and say, how dare you? Uh, think that I'm friends with someone for 37 years and think that I'd be friends with a racist. And the conversation wasn't pandering. It was real-life interaction with the president. And they're sold. And I did, not, I did not know this. And I think the numbers are still anemic, believe me. But in 2008, 5% of the electorate voted for, uh, voted for the Republicans. 5%. Okay? Well, Barack Obama's first term. Second term. 11% of the African-American population voted for Republicans. In 2016, 13% voted for Republicans. On the, Republican, on the, on the African-Americans voted for Republicans in the presidential election. Now, those numbers are terrible, considering you know, Abraham Lincoln's a Republican up until the 1960s. Uh, Frederick Douglass was a Republican. Up until the 1960s, if you cared about racial balance, you, you voted Republican, right? Ku Klux Klan were Democrat. Everything reversed in the 60s before we really were born and were, were conscious of what's going on in America. They had 95% support, the Democratic Party did, in the black community. Now it's down to 80. So I think that... When, when you see votes in states be, being decided by thousands of votes, you realize what that could mean. And I think it's great for the country. one 866 I'm going to go uh, cut this short a little bit because I want to get Byron York to weigh in on where this election is going and why Joe Biden's going to be speaking today. And he might be going to Kenosha on Wednesday. The president goes on Tuesday. Man, buckle up. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. 
While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Do you seriously wonder, Mr. President, why this is the first time in decades that America has seen this level of violence? It's you who have created the hate and the division. You've tried to divide us more than any other figure in modern history. And now you want me to stop the violence that you helped create. That is uh, fascinating. Mayor Wheeler, one of the worst mayors in American history, blaming the president for 90-plus days of unrest in Portland, a place he probably has not even been. Byron York is chief political correspondent for the Washington Examiner. This is a new one, Byron. Now he's blaming the, the president gets the blame for Portland? That's great. He's telling the president he better step down immediately. Um, you know, that was an extraordinary press conference by Ted Wheeler yesterday. Um, not only for him, you know, blaming everything that's happening in his city on Donald Trump, but also um, it was a press conference. So a reporter asked, well, what are your specific plans, to, you know, to, to stop this violence? And he said, well, I'm going to keep implementing my 19-point plan for racial justice. <laughs> by the way, one of those uh, it, it's it basically the short version of it is kind of defunding the police, and one of the elements, one of the 19 points, is to uh, to eliminate the city's uh, gun uh, violence reduction team. So I mean, you just had a shooting, uh, a murder in the city, or at least a shooting, a killing in the city, and you ask the mayor, "What are you going to do about it?" And he says, "Well, I'm going to reduce my." gun violence reduction team. Um, then, again, he was asked, well, now, okay, specifically, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm not sure you can specifically operationally prevent something like this. So he actually doesn't know what to do. He, he has shown that pretty consistently. He has clueless, because for a while, the president put federal agents in to protect the uh, building, and he was the villain. So the president said, okay, you know what? You got it. Go ahead. The state police left after a few days because they weren't being supported, and now it's chaos. Byron, I hate to say it, but what happened in Kenosha and what's happening in Portland is inevitable when the cops can't do their job. Sooner or later, people are going to start sticking up for themselves and get their point of view across. I don't condone it, but these these Trump, these pro-Trump groups are moving into town saying, uh, knock it off. Well, I do think that the absence of police is contributing to all this. I just think there's no doubt about that. Um, I certainly think it contributed to Kenosha. 
Um, and I certainly, I also think, you know, the 17 year old guy had absolutely no business being there with a, a weapon. Um, uh, and it was, you know, terrible what happened. Um, and I do think that both those events in Kenosha and the events in Portland could be either prevented or greatly reduced by a large police presence. But in in these cases, you have had city governments that usually support their police actually opposing their police. I mean, we've had conflicts between chiefs of police who, who want to try to restore order and mayors and city council members who don't. It's unbelievable. It's an extraordinary situation. I want you to hear things have changed. And Byron, you and I could sit there and we can make we could come up with what we think are conclusions about what's going to be happening in the next few months. But no doubt about it, Biden seeing something that the lack of interest in finding out and in labeling these riots riots different from protests has cost them. And that's why they're changing gears and going out on the road. Listen to Kate Benningfield with Chris Wallace yesterday. He is Biden's deputy. She is Biden's deputy campaign manager. Cut three. What I can say is you will absolutely hear Joe Biden out this week addressing this moment in the country. We will have details to share on the location uh, shortly. But what I can tell you is that he's going to do what he's been doing across the course of this summer, which is calling together people, uniting the country. Yeah. No, no. You did it from your basement. Now you're going to do it in Pennsylvania and then you're going to go to Wisconsin on Wednesday. What happened, Byron York? Well, I think they saw that it was uh, damaging Biden's candidacy. I think there's no doubt about it. I think we've seen polls recently that nationally support uh, for Black Lives Matter has gone down significantly. Uh, nationally support for protesters uh, has gone down uh, significantly. Uh, an increasing number of Americans don't think they're really protests. Um, they think they're basically street violence. So um, the, the, the problem is, in all of these cities where you're having either protest riots or just surges in violence, and we're talking about Portland, Seattle, Minneapolis, Chicago, uh, New York City, I mean, Oakland, a, a lot of places. Raleigh, Oakland, North Carolina. Carolina. Raleigh, North Carolina. So you've got a lot of these places that are experiencing uh, either political uh, turmoil that turns violent, or just a huge increase in violent crime. And people are worried about it. And you, uh, all of the governments in these cases, all of the local governments are Democratic. And it has put Biden in a bit of a bind. I mean, he, he, he hasn't come out and told his party that they're doing it all wrong. He's just stayed silent on it. And I think they, right. the campaign realized it was beginning to hurt him. Um, and now they're trying to, as you said, change gears. Black Lives Matter had 61 percent approval rating a month ago. Now it's down to 48. And now you have people going, well, I like the slogan. I don't like the group. No kidding. The group is totally uh, has, has a doctrine there that I don't think many people equate with racial justice. But the other thing is, will it stick when Joe Biden comes out today and says this is Trump's America, Byron? Well, that's what he did in his statement yesterday. It, it, was, it was an interesting statement. He releases a statement, as you know, he's been silent for a long time. In the first paragraph, he condemns the violence in Portland unequivocally, no matter who does it. Okay, that's fine. And he, t he takes a little shot at President Trump. He wants President Trump to condemn it as well. But that's fine. It's, it's politics. 
But then he gets into the, the, the meat of his blaming President Trump, and then it, he hints that the, the victim in this case was asking for it because they, they were spoiling for a fight. They were whipped up by President Trump. Um, and so the, the rest of the statement is basically indistinguishable from Ted Wheeler uh, blaming President Trump for what's going on in Portland. So, you know, is that going to work? Uh, well, it's, of course it'll work for Democrats. Uh, will it work for everybody else? I don't know. Key. It's going to get exciting. It's going to be a real big three months, and it's going to be a lot closer than anyone thought. Byron York, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Always appreciate it. one 408 7669 You've been quiet all week. Time for you to speak up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The fact is that no one got a bump out of this convention, not Joe Biden, not, not Donald Trump. But what the president needs to do is to continue to do what he started to do on Thursday night, which is to not draw a contrast on personalities, but draw a contrast on issues. You're right. Joe Biden does not have the personal negatives that Hillary Clinton had, but he also doesn't have near the level of enthusiasm about him that Hillary Clinton had and nowhere near the level of enthusiasm that the president has. That is a little of Chris Christie. You know, he joined us on Friday and then the Friday before, and he just has great insight because what I like about him is uh, he'll criticize the president, and yet he talks to him regularly. And he understands the president better than probably anybody because he knows him personally, their peers, uh, their peers and uh, their wives know each other, and then they go and compete with each other, and then they, you know, know politics. And so then they know the Northeast, and they understand the way each other are, and they're both very confrontational. So... I look at him extremely valuable in times like this. He says, also, I look at Karl Rove, too, because you need to hear from people that are going to be critical of whoever you like because that's, that's honest analysis. I mean, for example, even to bring to sports, let's say you're a huge Cowboy fan. The last thing you want is former Cowboys just saying how great the Cowboys are after they lost 28-7 to, to, the, to the worst team in the league. You need honesty. It doesn't, you know, you don't need cheerleaders. So that's why I thought it was important to every time Chris Christie talks. Now, for those who think that the convention, the convention was just to Republicans, you have to look at some of these polls. It looks like in the battleground states, the president's catching up big time. And with independents especially, he seems to might even, have, according to one poll, and I don't have it in front of me, he might be up by 10 points with independents. Michael Schmidt writes for the New York Times. I don't know if you've noticed it, but they tend to be against the president. Here's what he says is the feeling in Washington and in political circles about what's happening with this race. Cut 12. It's just this idea that things are tightening. As we came through the summer, as the president struggled to to communicate amidst all of these crises, there was this sense that Biden was really pulling ahead. But in the past few days coming out of this, there's just this prevailing feeling amongst folks. And maybe it doesn't bear itself out in in every poll and everything, but that this is a much more unpredictable situation than we thought 
uh, maybe just a few weeks ago. And that when we look back at 2016 and you look at Hillary Clinton's numbers at that point compared to where mm -hmm. Biden is now, it's just that this, this, is, this is not a sure thing for anyone or for anything and that this is going to be an incredibly unpredictable fall. And whether it's the virus, the politics or the protests, there's, there's just an enormous amount of unpredictability as we head forward. And what also is happening, the unpredictability is the, the pandemic, obviously. On a lesser note, but an important note, it's the riots. I mean, I was just jotting down everywhere where there was some type of unrest. Uh, Oakland, California. Raleigh, North Carolina. In Green Bay, Wisconsin, there were protests. Okay. Uh, that's a little bit different for me. Sacramento, California, there were protests. You know about what happened in uh, Kenosha. Obviously, there was a huge incident in Minneapolis, and but Portland's the one out of control still. And Seattle, they say that there's regular protests there. So when you start seeing all these unpredictable things happen, you go, okay, it's Trump's America. He's president. But you know he can't go in and settle things in Portland. And you don't go in there with stormtroopers. You know when he went in there and did what federal agents did to protect federal buildings because state police wouldn't. The criticism was so loud, people picked it up on that. You don't wait to see what your commentator at CNN really thinks about the riots. Or if you don't cover them, it doesn't mean they didn't happen. And what happens is they're going into suburbs, waking people up, saying, we're going to take your stuff. And they did it in D.C. They're doing it in Virginia. I don't, you know, if Joe Biden wants to ignore it, go ahead. You're affecting my life now. And there's one guy who makes it pretty clear that he's against all that. And it's Donald Trump. So that's the unpredictability thing that's closing the gap. And the real clear average on battleground states polls, 48-45, Biden with a slight advantage. Wow. Uh, let's go out to Irene listening in Texas. Hey, Irene. Irene, the silence is deafening. There you go. <laughs> Good morning, Brian. Uh, I just heard you on Fox making a comment about not knowing uh, where – that people don't know where all this funding, yes. all this money is coming from the protesters. I can tell you we've made our own uh, analysis on what's really happening, and I'm surprised that Congress, senators, government doesn't know. I mean they have to know. How can you not know? George Soros is involved, Hollywood's involved, BLM, Antifa, corporate companies that are donating – that's where all their funding is coming from, and uh, it, it's not really a donation. It's being used to travel expenses, hotel expenses, food expenses, paying them. And furthermore, a lot of the Democrats, you know why they're shutting everything down? Because they want to ruin this country, and they want to ruin Trump. They want to show the economy is lousy. People are mad and angry and out of work and no money. Listen, yeah, they're trying to make Trump look bad. There, there is an FBI investigation, and I think that something's going to come out pretty soon. But that's just it. So, Irene, people say, well, you want to run the country down to keep it down so Joe Biden can win. I have news for you. There's average everyday people uh, who are saying, I, I want my job back. I don't care who the hell the president is. Uh, I want the, my, my state opened up. I want to be able to play football in the Big Ten. I want to be able to play uh, soccer in high school. What are you doing trying to trying – to, uh, and put in the ultimate pain to people in order to hate the president or a party. This is way overstepping. And that's why Joe Biden's out, going to condemn the violence and disseminate between the violence, 
the riots and the protests. I have news for you. Look at Portland. Portland, they start off as protests. By the end of the night, it's riots. So don't tell me the people in Portland have a point and are looking for racial justice. I'm seeing some of this video. They're just looking to, to beat down people, and they hate the country. They have no interest in participating in our economy uh, or trying to go get a job and trying to make a success of yourself. Doc is listening to WOKV in Jacksonville, Florida. Doc. Hey, hey good morning. I say the um, RNC and the DNC was actually defined by one person. That was Alice Johnson. One stands for locking them up. One stands for rehabilitating and getting them out to be productive people. And being a conservative African-American myself, when I hear BLM, I think, true, yes, Biden loves minors. And that shuts it down. Well, uh, yeah, he he did a lot of uh, touchy-grabby, but that seems to have gone, uh, gone out of uh, the vernacular with the country. He's also had a, an accus- sexual assault accusation. No one seems to be catching up with that. So— I would say this about Joe Biden. No, no one says he's with minors. Get it. But Black Lives Matter, if you look at their doctrine and their website, and I saw Chris Broussard, an African-American NBA reporter, sports reporter, on with Will Kane over the weekend on Fox & Friends. And he said, for the most part, it's the sentiment, not the organization. But when you care about racial justice in this country, which I imagine everyone listening to the show does and wants things to be better and, and wants the same opportunity, despite your background, wants everything to be equal. And we get closer and closer every generation, despite what you hear. You think, OK, let me write a check to a great cause. I'm telling you, don't write a check to Black Lives Matter. And I think the NBA has got to rethink putting that state, putting Black Lives Matter on the on the court because it's associated with an organization where a lot of people, when they look at, aren't happy with it. What if you find out your money is going to pay for rioters who are harassing people going to work or going to sleep or leaving a event and being harassed? I wouldn't want a part of that. I'm pretty sure that's why most of you aren't writing these checks. But there's a, there's a few things happening. The African-American vote, I think, more than ever, I think Republicans get closer to 20 percent on it. And long term, they're always worried about Hispanic vote. Everyone's talking about winning over women. Why don't Republicans make a concerted effort to do legitimate things that are going to make the, the lives of African-Americans better? If we're going to continue to divide up the country like this, uh, why don't we do it in a way that's going to make our country better and talk about that? In fact, one of the stars, uh, one of, the stars of the Republican convention is Daniel Cameron. He's the Kentucky attorney general, and he's talking about the black presence with Republicans. Cut seven. Joe Biden uh, has taken for granted African-Americans in this country. And whether you are a black conservative or a black Democrat or moderate, Mm -hmm. uh, I think it is wise to look at your options during this campaign and make an individual assessment uh, of who will better serve your interests. And look, the NBA has become an activist group. They really have. Maybe you like that. Maybe you don't. I don't. And they're saying we're going to open up stadiums and arenas to allow people to register to vote. Are you open to the fact that you open up those arenas and people are going to vote? Maybe they're not going to vote for your candidate because people say they're going to vote, but they expect you to vote for Joe Biden. I have no idea why, because every time he's off script, he says something racially offensive, it seems. And we're about to maybe see him regularly, which is going to provide an endless, uh, endless amount of material for the Biden blooper reel, I sense. Uh, It's going to give Eric something else to do. 
Uh, this is Brian Kilmeade Show. We're going to come back uh, with a very important guest, John Rich. He's got a great series on Fox Nation, and it's all about what this country's about, the pursuit of success and happiness, not the guarantee. He'll talk about it. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What does that feel like yeah. just inside to do to that? To know you're an Olympian at yeah. a U.S.-hosted Olympic Games, there's nothing like it. It's just the pride you're surrounded by Americans. They're there to watch the Olympics, and you've got the jacket on, and they're right. like, are you an athlete? It's like, yeah, and they're like, good luck, go get them. Uh, that is Scott Hamilton talking about his Olympic gold and his Olympic success. It's all part of In Pursuit, uh, and that is part of the series that John Rich started, came up with a great name. It's called The Pursuit, I should say, with John Rich, back for season three. John, welcome back to the show. Good morning, Brian. Thanks for having me on. So, so who do you talk to this year? I have talked. Who have I talked to? Is that what you said? Yeah, this season. Who 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 do you sit down with? Uh, well, you you got Scott Hamilton there. Uh, I don't know if you ever watch the Food Network when you're at home. I know you're probably a, a chef, right, Brian? You're going in the kitchen, always making something. <laughs> uh, Manit Shohan. So if you watch any of those shows, you'll see Manit. Uh, she came here from India, and a matter of fact, a week before I interviewed her. Uh, she had gone to become a citizen and pledged her allegiance to America. And I asked her, so are you a dual citizen now of India, India and the USA? And she said, no, I'm an, I'm an American citizen now, and my career would not have been possible if I hadn't come to America. You know, stuff like that is, is what I think we got to be reminded of. Our country is the only one, as we know, that allows people to pursue happiness. We're the only country that guarantees its citizens that right. And I just love that, and I love to put that big spotlight on those stories. And that's what the pursuit is, the pursuit of happiness. No one guarantees success, but it guarantees you the right to have that success. It guarantees you the ability to, to, uh, to pursue it. So, John, uh, there's a big push in this country to uh, blame people. Uh, well, not, at, not a lot of people are, are out of a job now. A lot of people spend all their time protesting. Uh, I'm worried that uh, the fundamentals of America, the right to... Uh, to compete is going out of the curriculum and is getting going out of the American DNA. I'm worried about the same thing. I, I think that if you've picked up a textbook lately, and I have because I've got two two little boys, and you read what what some of the things coming across their desk, it's almost uh, a de-incentivizing thing that they teach about America that America owes you something, America is inherently bad. Capitalism is not is not good. Socialism is great. Like you read those things, you go, I can't believe that's actually what they're teaching. But there are schools that are pushing it across our country. And I believe it's like a brainwashing tactic to teach our kids something that's strictly not true. And we have to push back against that. Uh, I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. The truth about our country is we have the right to pursue happiness and to compete and to exhaust our potential. That's another thing I love to talk about. And that's not a partisan thing. That's an American thing. Right. That's There's got to be glory in an effort, going. glory in the journey. Yeah, man. I mean, if you've never failed at anything, that means you never tried at anything. 
You know, we all know that concept. It's okay to fail. It's okay to not get everything you want. The fact that we're able to even go for it sets our country apart. It's why people like Manit Shohan, for instance, moved here from India and became a citizen and has restaurants all over the U.S. now. She told me specifically, in India, if you're a girl, you're not allowed to do the things I'm doing right now in this country. John Rich with us. John, what's crazy is a lot of people in music and in Hollywood and acting, they're the ones who are way to the left, who are always so critical of society in America, always these anti-American speeches. But this is the ultimate meritocracy. John Rich, you could know everyone you want. If they don't like your music, you're not buying it. You're not going to be successful. If you don't pass the audition, if you're not a good actor and actress, you might get one movie, but you're not going to get another. And the odds of being successful in music and in acting are astronomical. They broke through on pure hard work usually, and to stay there takes more work. You know this. Why don't they see that, and why don't they urge other people to go do what they're doing? Why are they out there condemning the process that they seem to have been successful at? You know, I think they forgot where they came from, and it goes back to the statement of, you know, you're not guaranteed happiness but the right to pursue it. They, you're exactly right. Anybody that you see in entertainment that's ever made it, I guarantee you they did a lot of things before that that were really difficult. But it seems like when they get up in that upper echelon of entertainers, singers, whatever, that they then feel the pressure of that industry, the music industry, the movie industry, very, very liberal. And and even if you're a big star, they still, to a large degree, control your career. They control where you get played, what what happens with you going forward, award shows, all the stuff that goes along with it. And I think a lot of artists and actors just bend to that uh, because they want to continue to have success and, and don't want to take the repercussions of pushing back against it. There's yeah, a few of us that will, though. Right. There's a few that still push back. Absolutely. So, John, how do you deal with this virus? All these people getting so upset that government's limiting them from what they can do, from playing sports to maybe going back to work? Well, it, it comes back to personal responsibility, like we all know. You know, we're not stupid. By this point, we've had six months of education on this virus. We know what it can do. We know our own personal health. You know, we know what we think is best for our family. And to me, that's how it should work. Uh, whatever you decide for yourself and your family should should be the law. We've got a mayor here in Nashville that still got us shut down. Um, he's shutting down some businesses and letting other businesses stay open that are that are very similar. And and at the same time, raising everybody's taxes. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy what this virus has done to illuminate people's real motives sometimes uh, in politics. You really see what they're made out of. Absolutely. And uh, for musicians and uh, entertainers, it's been brutal because you can't get in front of an audience. Hopefully that changes in 2021 or maybe uh, maybe even this fall. Uh, John Rich, another reason to get Fox Nation. Look up John Rich's brand new season, The Pursuit with John Rich, season three. Uh, among the people you sit down with, your grandmother, uh, who recently passed away because she has had such an influence with you. Thanks, John. Thanks, brother. And Big and Rich, of course, you can always hear their music. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to BrianKilmeade.com. Order any of my books. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to FoxNewsPodcasts.com for all the details. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Look at everybody. Hi, everybody. Coming to you from New York, but heard around the country uh, and around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we start this week, the last week of summer, leading into Labor Day. A summer like no other, a spring like no other, the end of the winter like no other. It's pandemic 2020, which is now sprinkled in with riots and unrest, uh, civil disturbances, racial disturbances, playoff uh, uh, pro sports without fans, college sports in some sections of the country, not in other sections. Different sports are playing. Other sports aren't. There's nothing typical about every day, and I know that could be unsettling. Hopefully you could count on this show, uh, especially we had an interesting proclamation over the weekend from the mayor of New York City. And you wouldn't know this, but New York's popular city, so it probably matters to the entire country. Our mayor is asking permission to be able to tax the rich and redistribute the wealth. He actually saying this out loud. Uh, the rich are leaving. They have no interest in having their wealth spread out. They've worked hard for it. That's usually the way our system works. Why does he not go to Cuba? Why can't we find Bolivia for him? Venezuela's looking for people. Why can't we get him out? Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Across the country, colleges are struggling to contain clusters of COVID outbreaks. In Texas, Baylor University ordered 55 students, 21 of them positive, to reside in place on two floors of a dorm. One University of Alabama campus has reported more than 1,000 positive cases since classes began two weeks ago. Well, there you go. Uh, Dr. John LaPook uh, weighing in here. Corona clash. Not talking about science. I'm talking social. Parents, teachers, and students lock horns on in-classroom learning. In colleges, outbreaks, warnings, and uh, suspensions have universities yearning for some type of leadership and direction. Globally, unrest is ongoing over government restrictions. Yes, it's happening outside our country. You can't blame Trump for Germany, Switzerland, and the U.K. How do you balance health, life, and livelihoods in the age of the coronavirus? We'll discuss it. Number two. Mr. President. This is the first time in decades that America has seen this level of violence. It's you who have created the hate and the division. You want me to stop the violence that you helped create. Mayor Ted Wheeler, a biggest failure and one of the biggest failures in America. Why is Joe out of his basement? Riots from Kenosha to Portland, you just heard, to D.C., Protests have morphed into violence, and no one is okay with it, and no one's immune to it. And suddenly Dems realize they're paying the price for it because they have not been acknowledging it. Now Trump has Biden where he wants him, out of the basement. Can he actually go for the knockout punch? Number one. He said a week ago that he could win the election from home. He was asked that. He said, we will. We'll follow the science. Now he's going to go on a big campaign trip. That is Chris Wallace. Talking about the change of direction for Joe Biden leaving its basement as President Trump looks to define him before he can define himself. We're going to talk post-convention bounce and the sprint to November 3rd as the president hits his full stride. Uh, Joining us now is a guy who knows the president pretty well, Michael Goodwin of the New York Post. Uh, Michael, do you sense there's something the president's got momentum for the first time in a long time? Uh, good morning, Brian. I do think there is a change in the in the tone of the electorate. Uh, I think this violence is obviously rattling the Democrats. I mean, you hear all kinds of excuses from the media for trying to protect Biden. 
you, you hear the, the Ted Wheeler clip that you pay, played, that, some, that it's Trump's fault. Uh, I don't think that's going to fly. I, I think that the Democrats are going to have to address it. They're going to have to basically take the same position that the president is taking, which is that this is unacceptable and it will not be tolerated. And I think that un, until the Democrats do that, it's going to be to the president's advantage uh, because, again, these are democratic cities. There's no question that, that the riots are intricately linked to the protests and the demonstrations. That's not to say every protester or demonstrator is committing violence, but it's that these things began as protests and then quickly morphed into this violence. And you'll often see that there will be a peaceful protest uh, during the day, and then at night yeah. this, this other army of, of warriors comes out and wants to destroy and wants to fight. And so I think that uh, the, the Democrats are going to have to <clears throat> start drawing a sharp distinction, distinction because so far they've kind of issued a blanket approval for everything as though it's all just one summer of love, as the mayor of uh, Seattle put it at one point. It's not. It's a real insurrection. It's a violent insurrection against the state. It's attacking the police. It's attacking federal buildings, federal agents. So there's no question this is an insurrection. And Democrats, I think, are really really playing with fire uh, in their failure to fully denounce it. And look, yeah, I mean, people want to blame Trump, but people are also logical. They know the president has nothing to do with New York City. I'm watching this video of this man was told to move his car because he was parked in front of a fire hydrant and starts fighting two cops. He's a guy's a mammoth. Should be playing on the New York Giants. And he has to literally fight two cops. And guess what? The cops can't use a chokehold. They can't use uh, an arm lock. Uh, they obviously don't want to shoot anybody. But this guy feels as though I can go. And after the cops, well, we're going to let him go. He comes back at the cops again. There were riots in Green Bay, Sacramento, Beverly Hills, Oakland, Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, riots and demonstrations. And then Saturday in Washington, D.C. was a mess. They're going through the suburbs, banging on pots, saying you won't sleep until there's justice. Uh, and, of course, we know about Wisconsin. So what's happening is that people are saying, this is my life. I don't care who you're voting for. it. Who's responsible? Well, there's ones ignoring it, and one is backing police, decrying the fact that there's a movement in this country to defund the police. The president had this issue, but today— Joe Biden will say it's Trump's America. Do you think that he could start? Do you think that message could resonate? Look, I, I, I think it will resonate with those who already hate Trump. And I think the problem for both candidates now, Brian, is to get is to get those swing and undecided voters. Uh, I think the president is going to have to try harder uh, to reach them. I, I think his speech last week at the convention uh, was, was effective at defining Biden, but I don't think it was uplifting in the sense that it gave the undecided voters uh, a reason to move to him. The, the people who are undecided at this point uh, and there may be, you know, 10 to 15 to even 20 percent of the electorate, and many may not vote even. But I think that what they're looking for is somebody who 
who can at least speak to the whole country. And, and so when Biden refuses to condemn the violence, he's forfeiting that. And I think the president, by only condemning the violence, uh, is not reaching those people either. So I think that's the contest. And, I, and I, I agree with you and with the president that Biden has to come out of the basement. He cannot sit there and say this is the right. science. The science is not saying that anybody has to stay housebound now. It said that, you know, five months ago. But it's not saying that now. Absolutely. And it's not said that for a while. And, uh, you and know, Michael, they, they don't condemn the protesters. Excuse. Protesters, in, look at the cities I just rattled off. Do you think they're staying six feet apart and all wearing masks as they spit in people's faces? Don't you have to dip your mask to do that? Because that's what was happening <laughs> on Thursday night after the right. White House event. But, Michael, I want to bring you to, to something else, to go to your point. The president of the United States reached out to the Blake family. He hopes to get in touch with them. I would love to see him visit him. This doesn't have to be black versus blue. Let's talk about different things to make policing better. Let's talk about de-escalation tactics. Let's talk about lengthening the time in the academy, providing the funds to make that necessary, tools that could be more acceptable. So let's talk about that. Why, you know, being a policeman in, in 1950 is different than 2020. We know that. It doesn't mean bad or good. It means different. So then we, you could have a comprehensive look. We all don't have to be against each other. And in the end, it's Antifa and these, these militant groups who hate this country who will be isolated. Well, Brian, I, look, I, I, and I think the drawing distinctions is always important here. I mean, there, there are bad cops, but the Blake case, I think, is far from settled as to what happened there. I mean, the question of a knife, the question of his record, all of these things go into it. And, you know, when Rudy Giuliani was mayor, one of the great things that he did I believe to to change the tide of crime and just the public's view of these situations was to say that when there was a shooting involving the police or any act of violence, that let's slow down, let's give the police the benefit of the doubt until the facts are in. This this rush to condemn I the know. cops uh, is is to me a stereotyping that. We all abhor stereotypes, apparently, except when it comes to the cops. Then it's okay to stereotype them. And I think that until this country begins to view the police as part of the solution instead of the problem, and if you read the New York Times, if you read the Washington Post or CNN, the police are invariably described in stereotypical ways as the problem. And I think until we, we break through that, and I think the president could do a better job of not just saying we love our police. Uh, yes, but he has to acknowledge there are bad police. And I think the proper way to describe the relationship is that we invest in them this power of life and death. I would convene a race council with an answer. I'd get prestigious people on both sides of the aisle. Let's talk about racial justice in this country and come up with some type of conclusion at the end of it. Give them a few months, almost a think tank, um, almost a Simpson-Bowles-like committee, and see what we can work on to make the country, uh, if, it, if not it's actual, perceived to be any unequal. Let's try to make it better. And let's just say, don't, don't pretend like there's not some racial injustice in this country, but let's look at it. But if you want to hear going over the top, I asked Pete to pull this cut from, a, from Michelle Obama's podcast. Let's listen together. Cut 38. 
I can tell you a number of stories like that when I've been completely incognito during the eight years in the White House, walking the dogs on the canal. canal. People will Mm -hmm. come up and pet my dogs, but will not look me in the eye. They don't know it's me. And it's, you know, what, what white folks don't understand, it's like that that is so telling uh, of how white America views people who are not like them. You know, we don't exist. I don't know what you, I mean, really? I've, I've never seen that in my life. Someone pet a dog without acknowledging that someone's walking the dog? Yeah, you know, I, Brian, I, I read the transcript of that before and uh, now hearing it. Um, what it strikes me is what she's saying is people don't recognize me. They don't know it's me. They don't know it's Michelle Obama. I used to be first lady. I am somebody. Who are you? Who are you just to pet my dog and not and not pay respects to me? It's not about race. She's now become in her own mind specially entitled. I mean, I, I find it shocking that that she would even be so unself-aware as to say something like that. People pet my dog. They don't look at me and say, oh, hello, Mr. White Man. How are you? Are are you happy today? I mean, what is she talking about? What kind of fantasy world is she living in? Does she feel so entitled to be treated as someone special? She talked about people cutting in front of her. Oh, yeah. You want to hear that? Let's listen to that. McDonald's. Cut 30. Yeah, actually, it wasn't McDonald's. Sucking. Let's listen. Cut 37. We were stopping to get ice cream. There was a line, and once again, when I'm a just a black woman, I noticed that white people don't even see me. So I'm standing there with two little black girls, another black female adult. They're in soccer uniforms. And a white woman cuts right in front of us to order like she didn't even see us. Girl behind the counter almost took her order. And I had to stand up and I said, excuse me, as if you don't see us people standing right here, you just jumped in line. She didn't apologize. She never looked me in my eye. She didn't know it was me. All she saw was a black person or a group of black people, or maybe she didn't even see that because we were that invisible. Okay, I, you know what? I don't know what it's like to be a black woman. I have never experienced or seen that. I know there's people that jump in line. They don't even realize where the line starts. And at a soccer game, the worst thing you could ever do is get between the kid and the parent, especially when there's a line for ice cream after the game, because that's what they live for. <laughs> you know, Brian, it's, it's striking how she only sees race. That's all she sees, a white woman, right? She doesn't know any. She, did she notice anything about the woman other than the color of her skin? Maybe the woman was on the phone. Maybe the woman was distraught. But she just she has broken the world down into white and black and white White people don't treat black people, at least her, with the respect and the adulation that she believes she's entitled to. That, I think, is the most troubling thing. And it's trivial. It's, it's, she has had such a privileged life. And, and for her to act this way, I think, is so uh, dispiriting to people who are trying to solve real problems. But for her, it's, it's all about skin color. And I think that is what has happened to the Democratic Party. They have become so racially obsessed, so they, they fetishize race. And, and this idea that uh, all of America is racist, all of white America is racist, that's the fundamental issue. That's what, when they say systemic racism, that is what they mean. They mean it's part of 
white America's DNA. Now, they limit it to white America uh, as though uh, non-whites can't have any racial bigotry of consequence. But in fact, it is, it is such a, again, dispiriting description of the nation that it's really unfixable. It's, it's unfixable to say that white America's DNA is corrupted by racism. There's nothing can be done about that. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that that's why this kind of talk is just a dead end. It's a dead end spiritually. It's a dead right. end politically. And it can only lead to conflict and inter- mm-hmm. eternal grievance. And that's why I think the Obamas have failed as, as unifying leaders in this country. Yeah, this he- is who Michelle Michelle Obama is. This is who she's always been. We've seen hints of it before, but we've never seen it quite this blatant. I mean, the, the line about, you know, uh, you know, for the right. first time in my life, I'm proud of my country and all that. She harbors a deep, deep sense of grievance. And I, I feel sorry for her because gotcha. it's a kind of bondage all of its own to go around right. feeling that way, to look at people that way, to see only the color. I of hear skin. you, Michael. I, we got to run. But uh, your, your point's well taken. Michael Goodwin, thanks. When we come back, your calls. Brian Kilmeade. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. The President of the United States tomorrow is going to Kenosha. Today, Joe Biden's going to be talking in Pennsylvania. But one thing I was going to bring up on my third talking point today is about the corona clash between schools, universities, freedom, like the U.K. and Germany is upset with their government. I think everybody's attitude has to be thus. How do I live with it, not hide from it? How do I go interact and travel in a responsible way and stay safe knowing you have an older person at home, if you're younger, that you want to be able to go down to visit? What are the precautions I must take and do it? What is it going to take to have me play that sport and have my kids feel safe? Do it. How many people in the locker room? You got it. I'll do it. How many, where can we go out to eat indoors? I'll do it. Tell me the parameters to make it safe and the air quality that we need. I'll handle it. Take responsibility. That's where we're at right now. If you want to get on with your life while the scientists work on the vaccine and the remedy. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Tell me why SUNY Oneonta has 105 cases, didn't tell us, and we had to find out on the news. Institutions do not care about their students. A spike in on-campus coronavirus cases is forcing the New York State University to shut down for at least two weeks. It didn't feel like they were doing their best in ensuring our safety in the first place. Senior Malaka Haraza says she and her classmates were frustrated by what she says is the school's lack of testing resources and transparency. So if they're going to open up the schools, then they're responsible for you know, communicating with us whether we're in danger or not of the virus. 
colleges have not followed basic public health rules. They haven't done entry testing. They haven't done quarantining. Dr. Ashish Jha and other public health officials are urging students already on campus to stay there to prevent the spread of the virus. All right, so stay on campus, but don't go to school. Sit on my laptop and in a dorm. I don't know the rules about. But I think taking their money and suspending them, I think it's a little out of control, especially because these are brand-new rules that you made up about a week ago. And in this case, we're hearing some students say, I didn't even know that I was positive or anybody was positive. Why would they? They haven't been tested. We have a lot to discuss. And I see all your calls up there, so don't move. Uh, the order in which they come, I'll get to. But I'm going to welcome in now Dr. Mark Siegel, Fox News medical contributor. Dr. Siegel, uh, we heard, we saw that North Carolina got a bunch of positives. They just said, okay, all remote learning, same with Notre Dame. What about these schools that have some positive cases? Why is it open up and shut down? Why isn't there a, why isn't there a live with this plan? Yeah, and I agree with everything you just said, Brian, and you were very eloquent on this. They're charging full tuition, too, which you forgot to add. And, you know, there's there's definitely a, a way to go here where you quarantine or isolate people who have it, and especially with the rapid antigen testing coming out that's very accurate from Abbott that was just approved. They can screen a lot of different people, and most of the cases among young people are, are very mild, most of them. And so they, there's absolutely no reason they can't work that way. And the idea, by the way, of shutting the whole university down is really troublesome because then, of course, the students go back out into the community and spread COVID-19. But in a way, there was a false pretense here, which is people went to the campus thinking they were going to have school, not that they were going to be online. And that's somewhat disingenuous. And I agree with what you're saying, that there's a way to do this where actually the colleges can stay open. So, yeah, for for example, should they be, would you have recommended everyone get tested first? Yeah, definitely. Everyone should have got tested first. That gives you an idea what the cohort is. And then you can do surveillance where you where you test certain people yeah. or anybody with symptoms or people they've come in contact with. That's called contact tracing. That's what's supposed to happen. And that's what can happen easily at a university that's actually walled off from everywhere else. And by the way, I'm not sure, you know, that, that I would – they could put a kibosh on, on, on frat parties, on sorority, sorority parties for a while, you know. They have some control over what happens on the campus. They don't just have to allow a thousand cases to, to suddenly burgeon. And you know, the, the clip you showed at the beginning of somebody hysterical over a yeah. hundred cases is hysteria. It is, and I just think there's got to be a, a, a false, uh, a fail save. Okay, uh, this dorm has got a bunch of positive cases. This is what we're going to do. You're going to be remote learning for uh, ten days. We're going to do another test. Right. We look for te- two, two negative tests, and then you're free. And then you have people in a friendly way monitor, and it's going to take a little bit extra effort, maybe some more staff. But what it shows is making an effort to live with it, because while we wait for people in your community to come up with a vaccine or some type of therapy, we have to live our lives. And what you're seeing, uh, Dr. Siegel, is people in um, Sweden, Germany, the U.K., in Switzerland. And not Don't blame Donald Trump for this. They are all losing it. They are protesting in Paris, European capitals, all through the EU because of the restrictions these politicians are putting on their lives. I thoroughly understand it. 
By the way, Brian, you, you got a, you're going to be a public health official soon. I'm going to appoint you something because you just gave a really great solution that no one's talked about. Let's take the people that are positive and quarantine them in their dorm for 10 days like you would anywhere yeah. else, like we've been doing for months already. And your other point about, about protests, I mean, you know, I, you know, just last week, of course, there were 50,000 people protesting in D.C. with no precautions. Maybe some camera from a, a different network will take a picture of some person wearing a mask, but unruly. You know, definitely spreading virus if there's any virus in the in the crowd. No question. So when you come down and you condemn the president, now personally, I would have told if I was the president, I'd say, guys, I need you to wear a mask. I don't need the criticism. Wear the mask. Right. Uh, and if someone insists on not doing it, make it make it the exception. But he didn't. So when Chris Wallace asked Laura Trump about this, listen to what she said. Cut twenty two. It was an outdoor venue, and I'll remind everybody that the, the folks that were spitting in the faces of, of our, our people leaving the, the convention that night uh, were not social distancing. It, it was an absolutely disgusting display. The next day, there were, you know, thousands of people on the, the National Mall all packed together as well. So, look, we either have to say that everybody plays by the same rules, or we have to, to stop talking about it. So that's yeah, the frustration. Cool, cool. Completely agree with the words there. It's so eloquent. I mean, the party of virtual convention is the party of riots, right? The party of protests. I mean, that's the ultimate in, in a paradox, in, in hypocrisy. And I agree with your first point, by the way, that the, one of the ways to set an example is for, for President Trump's events to have masking and distancing and more testing. But nothing, it pales in comparison to what's going on uh, on the other side in terms of the protests and the spitting and the shouting. And that spreads virus if there's virus. And of course, there's no contact tracing going on there. We don't actually Actually, no. You know, I, I said the other night that what, as soon as we get those Abbott kits, we should put them in protests and test people. Uh, Dr. Siegel, our guest from NYU. Dr. Siegel, I want to bring you to the CDC recommend, recommendations. So they came out last week, I think it was, they issued, uh, they issued a proclamation saying those exposed to the virus and without symptoms may not need testing. You as a doctor, are you comfortable with that recommendation? Well, I actually talked to Bob Redfield about this on Friday, Brian. I interviewed him, and I asked him this exact question, and I'm fairly satisfied with his answer. He said what those are intended to do, and it's one of those things where everything gets attacked, as you know. Everything gets attacked. He's saying that when you test somebody, it should be tied in with a public health response. So I gave him an example of a, of a patient of mine who was, in, who was in touch with a superintendent for hours who then later turned out to be positive. He said, test that guy, test that guy, and I did. But his point is... Is do we have the manpower we need to trace the people who are exposed? And I agree with that. I agree with that. I think that they probably wish they could walk this back a little because if you're really in close contact with somebody that's positive, you want to be tested. But we need the public health officials there to follow the results. Yeah, they say so far 33 states rejected the new COVID-19 uh, testing recommendations. So a lot of states pushed back, and they saw politics in that. Yeah. We're testing. Now, uh, we have a ranking, and we are ranked 11th uh, in terms of uh, mortality rate. New national metrics and new cases, death, hospitalization, the positivity rates, and everything together. They say we're 11th in the world um, per capita. So the United States also has the most deaths in the world at 183,000 and ranks 11th for deaths per capita. Uh, Sweden, Brazil, Italy, Chile, Spain, the U.K., Belgium, and Peru are ahead of us. Uh, and right now, cases are going up, we should mention, even in South Korea, who's been fantastic on this. What is the reason for that? 
I got a couple of reasons you haven't thought of. I'm going to play Brian Kilmeyer. Here, here are three reasons. One you probably did think of, which is there's a lot more people out there that have mild cases that are ne- that are never diagnosed. Uh, the second reason is that we have an obesity epidemic in the United States. So those, the obese people are those that are most at risk of complications and death. And third, and let's start with our governor here in New York. What happened in our nursing homes? Forty percent of the deaths from COVID-19 in the United States are in nursing homes. We need to protect. Better, and we're starting to do a better job at this, but we need to ultimately protect people most at risk, beginning with our elderly. Forty percent of the deaths. No wonder we're eleventh. I mean, we would be number one for sure if we had if we had watched out for that. Right. Uh, by the way, new Centers for Disease Control just reported that ninety four percent of the people who died after contracting COVID nineteen had contributing health conditions. I don't want to sound callous and act like they those one hundred eighty three thousand people don't matter and they're not all great people. I get it, but. In other words, they were vulnerable to begin with. And if you're trying to assess who can participate in the workforce and go to school, shouldn't that be part of the equation? Yeah, there's no question about that. That should be who's at risk, why are they at risk, what can we do to protect them, have they been tested? All of that has to play into this. What is their age? That's the number one risk factor. What is their age? Because the older person is, and and if they have another comorbidity like obesity or, or, or diabetes or some other medical condition, heart or lung disease, then you might not want them. That, those are the people who should be working remote more. But, but the general workforce of young, healthy people that are not mm-hmm. overweight, I think, is, is much less likely to have a problem. Uh, Dr. Siegel, if you are a restaurant owner and we've been told there's no plan on the table for you to open up indoor dining for the rest of 2020, and you're a doctor and you wanted to convince, do you want, would, you, would you have a case to, to make to the mayor that he should be doing it sooner? Well, it depends on the location. You know, places like New York, there's not a lot of virus right now, so I would consider doing it sooner. I think we should be focusing on ventilation. I think we should be focusing on outdoor dining, but, of course, that's not going to work in December and January. Um, But I I think that it depends on how much virus is around, and there should be plans to do it, and they should involve distancing. And, by the way, one hypocritical – another hypocritical law on the books in New York, Brian, is that you don't have to wear a mask sitting down, but you do standing up. Up. I mean, I don't even understand that. I mean, I think I think they could do a lot better with making these things a little bit more consistent. Yeah, no, it's, but listen, don't say anything because it's the one piece of normalcy. I could sit at the table without a mask on. And by the way, if I could eat <laughs> indoors on Long Island and if they can sit there in, in the Hamptons, why can't I do it in New York City and just spread out the tables? These people Completely are dying. Agree. Yeah, completely agree. I, yeah. I, I, I'm enjoying dining in, out on Long Island. Right. In New York City, it's still a ghost town. I completely agree. And there's very little virus around. It has to be done in a very careful and organized way. Man, we were so comprehensive today. I should really, you should, I should really pay you double what I normally do just to appear on the radio show. Well, what about what about your public health suggestions? You're, I'm giving you an, an MD tomorrow. <laughs> I should get that. So many people focus on schooling. I should just come up with random statements. They're pretty smart. Go get him. Dr. Mark Siegel, I appreciate it. When we come back, let's see how smart you are. one 408 We're going to take your calls and get your input and find out if there's indeed more to know. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. 
New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. And if we could just get President Trump to acknowledge that and to push for real police reform, then let's address the issue uh, why NBA players did not play in basketball games. The fact that people are are waking up and speaking out uh, on uh, Jacob Blake's death. I mean, that's the issue. And I think that without a plan from uh, the White House to address it, uh, it's just really sweeping it under the rug. And you hear the rhetorical gymnastics from his chief of staff that was just here. Okay, that was Cedric Richmond, really bright guy, and he's playing a key role with the Biden campaign. But listen, what Congressman Richmond doesn't understand or remember or is, or is flagrantly hoping will forget, and that is that Tim Scott came up with a plan in consultation with the White House, offered it through the Senate, and didn't go anywhere in the House. Nancy Pelosi wouldn't even entertain it. They did it. Now, I think the president should mention this today and tomorrow. And when he goes there, listen, police reform is part of this. Got to get the academy better. Got to give them more funding. Got to give them more training. Uh, and they'll be better cops. And they'll be more prepared. De-escalation will be key. You want social workers in there? Tell me how this is going to work to make them more effective. But that was on track. And now it disappeared because it's a political season. And the president's team might benefit from that. So that really drives me nuts. You know what else drives me nuts? Listen to another problem. And that is communist, not even Democrats, communist mayors like the one we have in New York City. Listen to Mayor Bill de Blasio, who in the middle of all this civil unrest and the exit from all these major companies, you're not trying to get Goldman Sachs and you're not trying to get state governments to go back to work and get into the city again. You're not trying to convince people to go on subways by going yourself. Instead, this is what he wants to do. Cut 21. You really want to change things in this city? then everyone better change a lot of the way we live more foundationally. If you just talk about it and feel self-satisfied, God bless you. That's not actually going to change things. What changes things is redistribution of wealth. Uh, tax the wealthy at a much higher level. And I just feel like this is a lot of cocktail party comfort going on rather than people honestly dealing with this issue. Help me tax the wealthy. Help me redistribute wealth. Help me build affordable housing in Uh, white communities, if you want desegregation. Uh, I cannot believe he said this out loud. Help me redistribute wealth. So everything that you work for, and I believe earned, unless you're a Rockefeller or a Carnegie, and you have uh, generations of wealth that you just were born into, everything that you've earned, work your way up, give it away and give it to other people. All right? Let's not have a capitalist system. Let's not have money, and then take money that we don't have because we never earned it and give it to other people who didn't earn it. It's just fundamentally, how could you say that out loud? You think that. we People usually accuse you of that, and you say, I never said that. He actually said that. Rose, listening in London. Hey, Rose. Hello. What a pleasure to speak with you. Um, Clearly, I'm not a black male, and neither do I live in the U.S. I live in London, U.K., but because of what I'm seeing, what I'm reading, it's clearly that there's systemic racism within the police force in the U.S. You think so? Um, too many black men and women are dying at the hands of the police force. So I think that 
it's about time that we all recognise that. And then I think that you, as a leading light, Ryan, you're respected worldwide, which is why it's four o'clock in the afternoon here and I'm listening to you because I do on a daily basis. Can you not start the dialogue to try to remedy this, you know, with the police? Hey, Rose, you know, you, you, bring up a, you bring up a great point. I'm so glad. I want to get back to that point on racial justice in America, policing, get people in the same room and find out what's going on. I never went to the academy. I don't have that prejudice. My listeners don't have that prejudice, and they're being accused of having that prejudice. But if there's a feeling, and I believe it's people like Tim Scott say what you just said, Rose, and you're in London. Tim Scott's an American uh, senator here in South Carolina. He said he's been pulled over 18 times. He says cops have been treated him with great respect, but especially when they find out who he is. But let's, let's find a way to get to the bottom of that and make things better. But destroying cities and destroying communities and spitting on politicians and with the Black Lives Matter movement and this Antifa movement do nothing but hurt the country. But I see there's problems around the world. It's not just in America. They were protesting in London about racism, and, and they were protesting in Germany and in Paris. So there's stuff that could be addressed here. But when you start burning down cities and beating people up because they went to 7-Eleven or because they happened to not look like you and or the, the transsexual that was beat up outside of 7-Eleven the other day and the guy that stuck up for him gets his head beaten and knocked unconscious, that doesn't help racial strife in America. So it's it's tough to it's tough to swallow, but that was interesting. Rose from London. Originally, I'm thinking to myself, I'm not sure that there is a Rose from London, but I believe that was real. Now, we're worried for a second. Hey, uh, hey, go to BrianKilmeadShow.com or the podcast if you ever can hear us live. A chance to download what all of America's doing. Our numbers are going through the roof. And always remember, it's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're going to be joined by Charlie Hurd. How do I know? I hear he's on the line already. And Brett Baer, uh, because he has not been on the air enough, and it's going to be his big break. He's chief political anchor for Fox News. Spent all week uh, covering the Republican convention the week before the Democratic convention. Both glad. I'm sure he's glad it's done. It looks like the morning consult poll shows bigger bounce for the RNC, a negligible bounce for, uh, for Biden from the DNC. And by the way, in terms of Betting odds where the money usually is the most accurate. If you uh, asked me a month ago with the betting odds that Donald, that uh, Joe Biden would beat Donald Trump, 61% chance that he would win. Now it's virtually a dead heat. 50.6% chance uh, Biden wins, 49% chance that Trump wins. That's all Trump wants, a chance. He will outwork you. And now word is Biden's actually going to go to work and try to win. He thought he actually won already. Uh, we'll discuss all that. The president of the United States announced he's going to be going to Wisconsin tomorrow. Uh, Biden's going to be speaking about Wisconsin in Pennsylvania. Makes sense to him. And I'm sure he will not be answering any questions. And I'm sure he'll be wearing his mask. And then on Wednesday, he's supposed to go to Wisconsin. Those are the preliminaries. But everything's changing. Uh, let's go to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Across the country, colleges are struggling to contain clusters of COVID outbreaks. In Texas, Baylor University ordered 55 students, 21 of them positive, to reside in place on two floors of a dorm. One University of Alabama campus has reported more than 1,000 positive cases since classes began two weeks ago. Wow, the corona clash. Not talking science, talking social. Parents, teachers, students lock horns on class learning, in class learning, in college outbreaks, warnings, and suspensions. Have universities yearning for some type of leadership? I know I am. And globally, unrest is ongoing over government restrictions. I'm talking Germany, Switzerland, uh, France, and the U.K., all with riot, not riots, but protests this week. Uh, it's, it's a matter of the balance, balance between health, life, and livelihoods in the age of the coronavirus. How do you do it? I will tell you. Number two. Mr. President, this is the first time in decades that America has seen this level of violence. It's you who have created the hate and the division. You want me to stop the violence that you helped create. Mayor Ted Wheeler, what an embarrassment of Portland. Why is Joe out of the basement? Riots from Kenosha to Portland to D.C. last night. Protests morph into violence, and no one is okay with it, and no one's immune to it. Suddenly the Democrats realize we have to actually comment on it, and Trump beat them to the punch. Will they have any credibility? Number one. He said a week ago that he could win the election from home. He was asked that. He said, we will. We'll follow the science. Now he's going to go on a big campaign trip. Yeah, go make sense of that, Kate Benningfield, of the Biden campaign. Finally, Biden leaves his basement. To me, it shows his internals reveal that he is going to have to work to win. And that's where he could get in trouble. And joining me now, a guy who always comes to work, Charlie Hurt, tries to get some uh, original points of view for his columns. And he's a Fox News contributor as well. Charlie, welcome back. Hey, Brian, how are you? And of course, you wrote Still Winning, Why America Went All In on Donald Trump and Why We Must Do It Again. Remember this, uh, this statement a short time ago. It seems like yesterday. It was actually just a week ago. Cut number one, Joe Biden being asked by David Muir if he's going to leave his basement. I understand the restrictions of COVID and campaigning in this time, but can you win a presidential election from home? We will. We're going to follow the science what the scientists tell us. We've been able to travel places when we've been able to do it in a way that we don't cause the congregation of large numbers of people. Look what happens, what, what's happened with his, his events. People die. Wow. Uh, he, has, he does a great job of keeping his crowd small by saying he'll appear. <laughs> He's brilliant at it. Yes. So He's game very- on. This is what the yeah. this is what the Trump team wants him out there trying to explain how his agenda is going to match with Bernie's agenda, but not match with Bernie's agenda. And then what is what is it? Uh, if I'm black, do I have to vote black? Uh, do I have to vote for Democrats? I can't wait to hear what Joe Biden's going to say unscripted. Yeah, no, it's it, it, no, you're right. He really is very, very good at keeping his crowd small and social distancing from voters. Um, but and then and Lord forbid if the guy ever actually uh, takes on real tough interviews the way Trump does with regularity, uh, that's where it's going to get even. Um, not to mention the debate, uh, the idea of going mano a mano in public on a stage for ninety minutes. Um, but you know it, th- this whole environment has—it's just so toxic, and it's so. And, and think about what these what these politicians in places like uh, Oregon are saying. You know, the idea that, you know, oh, the, telling the president that not to come visit 
it's it, it, it's insane. Uh, you know, and, 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 it, and it raises real questions about let's just say for a minute for, for a second that that they're right, that that Donald Trump is to blame for the, the ratcheted up uh, uh, rhetoric and, and stuff, which I absolutely do not believe, by the way. But let's just say that. Do you give into that or do you maintain law and order? And that's where I think there's a real breakdown. And I think that when it gets down to voters who are sitting there, you know, moms, dads, uh, grandparents, young people, anybody who cares about safety and the, the ability to walk down the street in, in a peaceful place where that's not being burned out, I think that that message of just straight law and order, and yes, you treat everybody the same, equal justice under law, all that stuff, because if you're going to put that into into terms of an election, this is you know you know this is what Trump is talking about, and Biden has been, done a terrible job of presenting any kind of sort of you know you know lawful argument for 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 his president. Well, let's get the messaging down. So I think that Trump did a brilliant move in saying. I need more than four years to undo Joe Biden's 47 years in Washington. Good idea. And that was, that, that was a total jujitsu because they were saying I gave Donald Trump four years and look at the mess he's, he's gotten because of the pandemic. We know that's the answer to it, but they're not saying that almost disingenuously. Now, in terms of the unrest, they realized their, their backs against the wall because they ignored it and the American people didn't. So, Charlie, tell me if this is going to be effective. This happened in Trump's America, not in Joe Biden's America. What's your answer to that? Do you think independents and undecideds will say you're right? Donald Trump ultimately responsible for Portland, uh, 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 Kenosha, Chicago, New York, uh, and Seattle. Well, in places like Chicago and New York, you know, I think that that argument falls flat because those are places that have, you know, problems that have gone back a, a long time in terms of violence, and they are Democrat-run places, and they have been run by Democrats forever. The larger issue, though, about some of this new, this new violence that we're seeing, and I, I, I think that that is an effective attack uh, to say, you know, well, this is happening under Trump's watch, so, and I do think that that is effective. However, uh, there are two, th- two other things going on here. One is, it's all politically motivated. All of that stuff is politically motivated. Those are not Trump supporters out there causing that violence in places like Portland. Those are people far more aligned with Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, when I thought that was a, a, an effective attack, yep. President Trump was, was not doing anything about it at, at, you know, at the very beginning of this. He was very reticent to get involved. He's getting a whole lot more involved. Now, if he goes in there, sends National Guard troops in there and does things that, you know, or, or you or, or and I thought my personal favorite. Like he did in Portland. You had. Yeah. Where you have federal agents protecting federal property, which is, you know, the federal courthouse, every federal courthouse in this country stands there to protect individuals, constitutional liberties and an attack on the any federal courthouse is an attack on that area's ability to protect individuals, my, your, every listener's constitutional rights that are enshrined in the federal constitution. So, so sending in troops to protect that property, he didn't do it at the very beginning, but now that he has done that, 
I think it does a lot to disarm that argument, and I think it is very, very effective and very powerful and very important. And, and moreover, Brian, it is pursuing charges against criminals for the crimes that they pursue, that, that, that they commit. You cannot just, you know, it's not just protecting the property. You have to charge people. You have to arrest people. You have to put them per, through the system. We don't do that for the fun of it. We do that to promote law and order, to protect innocent people so that they can go out and protest. If, they, if they're protesting uh, the, the way police have treated people, great. Right. Go out and protest it. I'm in favor of that. Let's have a discussion about it. But, but if those people are going out and they're getting shot and killed or they're, or they're getting caught up in, in firebombings and shootings, that's a terrible thing. That, that's – that's not protecting people's constitutional liberties. And, and, and it's funny how little – if I were a Democrat, if I were Joe Biden, I would be out on the barricades every day arguing in favor of peaceful cities so that people can demonstrate peacefully yeah. you know, against well, police well, Charlie, or a couple of things. favor Georgia, whatever. A couple of things. So Biden is going to go out and say – I'm condemning Antifa, and he's probably not going to use the word Antifa. I'm condemning no. the riots. I am condoning the protest. And I'm going to say, you know, here and now, that's how I feel. What Trump could do, and let's see how people feel about that. I think he's way too late to the party. He was totally silent on it. All those other networks were silent on it until, as Don Lemon gave out last week, because he's really running the Democratic Party, he said, polls show, focus groups reveal, people are truly upset about these riots and that they, they are beginning to go to Donald Trump because of it. So keep in mind, Donald Trump could do a better job at telling people there could be law enforcement reform because cops are on board with that. You give them more money to extend the academy. You talk about uh, sophisticated de-escalation techniques, things they need to do in the field that are going to help them and make it get a, maybe get a commission together to work through this. I mean, you can't police the same way you did in 1960 as you do in 2020. Everything else changes. Why not policing? So yeah. we could like because it will stop it they, being black against blue. Yeah. And, and you know, you know who the greatest promoter of protest, protesting in the streets was James Madison. And if you go back and you read the Federalist Papers, I, I, I just because of all this craziness that's going on, I find myself going back and reading huge tranches of the Federalist Papers. If you go back and you read that stuff, everything was directed at how do people express themselves politically in an effective way that maintains the liberties of everybody that's in, in society. They were, the, they were the number one protectors of protests. They loved political protests. They wanted political protests to thrive. And they understood the only way to do that was to make to give us have a system where that could occur, but but it would occur without depriving other people of their guaranteed constitutional liberties. And all of that gets thrown out the window when a mayor or a governor decides not to pursue criminal charges against people who break the law. Uh, all that falls down when, when, when these politicians decide to weaponize all of this and tell the president, no, you can't come visit our city because people are getting upset about it. 
No, that's not how it works. You you can be upset about it and you can say something about it, but you're not allowed to shoot a cop over it. Yeah. You're not allowed to shoot an innocent person over it. And I should point out too, we're 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 lucky enough to be in St. Louis, who is K uh, KTHK, and there we had a police officer shot. First one was killed on the line of duty yeah. since 2011, and we had a. Uh, we had a protester, rioter, whatever, uh, was killed in Portland last night. He was a pro-Trump person, uh, I guess a pro-Trump group. And then we have—we know what happened with the, uh, the shooting over in Kenosha. But that all happened, to your point, Charlie, because cops are not allowed to do their job. So people have right. been watching this 80-plus days in Portland. We watched four days in, in Wisconsin. They said, I'm going to go over and get my point of view out, and it's going to get violent. Right. And I'm not condoning right. the 17-year-old with a rifle. My goodness. But uh, he basically, if but cops it, were allowed it, to do their job, they wouldn't have needed anybody to show up there. He would have been wrangled absolutely. right away. And, and here's another thing. And, and we don't know what happened with the, the gentleman that was, was killed in Portland this weekend. We, you know, we don't know the details. But it appears that he was not shot in self-defense which uh, w- would be a mitigating factor. And if the person that has been named as the person that, that, that police want uh, in connection with that, with that shooting, the, if they have the right person, and again, this is, no, you know, this is a, for subject of discussion, this is not for subject of running out and, and rioting and looting, but, but if that is the correct person, this is a, a person who has several gun charges filed against him in the last six months has committed other crimes that have not that were not pursued there was a warrant for his arrest and if all that bears out to be true and this person is the person responsible then then there is blood on the hands of people who did not pursue those gun charges and I, you know, I, i'm a lawful gun owner i there's there are few things in this world that are more cherished to me than my gun rights but I will tell you, if somebody commits a crime involving a gun, this business of not pressing charges and pursuing charges or, or this, this idea that we're going to go back after the fact and just dismiss all of these charges, it's nuts. Gotcha. And all, because you know, law, law-abiding gun owners are always going to obey the law. I hear it's, you. It's a real tragedy. Yeah, there's, when, when, and New York's the worst. Uh, yeah. Charlie Hurd, thanks so much. Uh, great, uh, yeah. great opinions. Uh, it's going to get really exciting over the next few weeks. We're not even at Labor Day yet. Yes, uh, pick yes, up uh, Charlie's book, Still Winning, Why America, Why America Went All In on Donald Trump and Why We Must Do It Again. Thanks, Charlie. Uh, when we come back, your phone calls, then Brett Baer. Don't move. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. The Republican Party stands with those who uh, welcome peace, justice, and equality. I think just like your viewers, we can certainly tell the difference. Uh, between those that in earnest want to make sure that there's peace, justice, and equality in this country as opposed that are trying to hijack uh, mm-hmm. this moment. David Cameron, AG of Kentucky, uh, talking about why he's a Republican and just talking about the difference between rioters and protesters. We get it. I just want to make sure 
everyone gets it, and Democrats understand it because the American people are fed up with it. Uh, William, listen on WMNC in South Bend, Indiana. Hey, William. Hey, morning, Brian. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? So, you know, there's a lot of things you were just talking about. Some of it seemed almost pale to I have a son, two sons in college. <clears throat> One of them is, is uh, goes to DePaul out of Green Castle, Indiana. And he's been instructed for the first semester. He's a senior this year. For the first semester, he'll stay at home and do online learning, the seniors and juniors. Second semester, supposedly the juniors and seniors are supposed to attend the university again. The other one's a sophomore at Butler. We took him back two Mondays ago. He was supposed to report. Three and a half hours for him just to go through, get tested, make sure that he didn't have the corona before he could get over to the frat house and get, get signed in. <clears throat> Last Sunday, a week ago yesterday, they announced that they were going to do online training or online education only. Even, oh, these kids are at the, at the it's, university. It's a joke, and they already got your money. Thanks so much for the call. We are going to talk about that in 15 minutes. So get on with your uh, with your school story. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. He said a week ago that he could win the election from home. He's, he was asked that. He said, we will. We'll follow the science. Now he's going to go on a big campaign trip. That's just that's just disingenuous, Chris. He said, we will win by following the science. That's what we've done from the outset. That's what we'll continue to do. That means we can hold socially distant, responsible events. You're going to see him travel. You're going to see him in battleground states. Uh, you know, people across this country have been sharing sacrifice. That is uh, Kate Bennyfeld, who was uh, kind enough to come on with Chris Wallace yesterday and try to justify the fact that one week ago, Joe Biden was perfectly content trying to win the presidency from his basement, and something changed. Here to help me find out what changed, Brett Baer, chief political anchor for Fox News. Uh, he handled all the coverage brilliantly uh, over those eight, uh, eight days and two conventions. Brett, welcome back. Hey, Brian. What changed? Why, why is Joe Biden leaving the basement? They shifted. The race shifted. The tone changed. The message changed. The uh, ownership of the message changed. President Trump changed the dynamic in that uh, convention. And I think that the fact that Democrats in their convention didn't mention the violence once in big cities and different cities really opened the door to hit a law and order theme in a really balanced way with different voices, Uh, not just President Trump, but African-Americans and uh, people that are affected by the violence. And it hit. It stuck. It moved the markets, the betting odds. We haven't seen too many polls. We've seen a few that have moved. But in swing states where it's happening, it's moving significantly. Wisconsin you can see a six, seven, eight-point shift. Very interesting uh, to see when the polls do come out. And then, of course, are they registered voters? Are they likely voters? But some of the things that emerged, you know, Herschel Walker's speech is always going to stand out to me. So is Daniel Cameron, the attorney general of Kentucky. And he's an African-American. One after another, more and more from, uh, from Jack Brewer on down, 
I'm seeing all these African Americans come forward and say, you know, two of which say, and I'm still a Democrat, but I'm voting for Trump. And I think it's too many to look past now. And do you think this is significant? And it was this poll was run through about African American support. And in 2008, presidential election, uh, Barack Obama got 95 percent of the black vote. In 2012. He only he, he gave up 11 percent. So the first year he gave up 5 percent. The next year he gave up 11 percent. In 2016, it's 13 percent. So he had 95 percent support. By 2016, uh, it was whittled down to 80 percent support. In an election in the battleground states, it could, could be de- defined by so little. Do you think this is going to be statistically significant? I do. I do think that there's a possibility to move one, two, three points in the black community and make a huge difference in some states. However, that appeal doesn't just hit the black community and African-Americans overall. It also hits white suburban women who have to be comfortable that Donald Trump is not a racist and that African-Americans are okay with Donald Trump. So that message is not just for the black community. It's also for white suburban women who have to be given the okay to vote for Donald Trump, if that makes sense. Oh, I, hear I, I, think, I think that that messaging is where they were going with all of that. And uh, I think it moves the needle. Now, we have, whatever, 64, 65 days left. A lot can change. We're, you know, 3,000 news cycles away from election day but but that convention i do think uh moved the needle and changed the dynamic and the biden campaign is reacting to that i wouldn't be surprised if there are shifts and changes in the biden campaign yeah i mean just to get him an unscripted situation would be unique uh he doesn't seem to thrive i'm being generous uh tiffany cross is somebody i did not know uh but she's filling in for uh, it's filling in over an MSNBC. And what I can, cannot stand if someone like uh, someone comes out and says, I, I support uh, Ben Carson is a Republican and supports President Trump. And you got uh, Herschel Walker, as I mentioned, Jim Brown, George Foreman, Daryl Strawberry, uh, just people off the top of your head. They just said, yeah, I got to know him. I have no problem voting for him. Here's what she said about blacks who vote for Trump. Cut 13. The Republicans invited a cadre of professional black friends to validate Donald Trump and make white people feel a little less racist while still very much supporting white supremacy. I mean, I watched the Republican convention and seeing the slew of black speakers that they had, it really did look like a modern day minstrel show to me. I mean, they're filling in for Joy Reid. I, I can't tell you how much is wrong with every sentence I feel she wrote. Am I, am I alone in that? I mean, if you were sitting no, and that was so, on your panel, Brett, what would you say? It's so offensive. I'd go to commercial break. I mean, that's so offensive. It's unbelievable. On its face, it's really offensive. Now, you can have feelings about where you think Donald Trump is, but you can't take away from somebody's personal experience and what they think about it or how they think about, you know, what's happening, you can't, you can't own that. So uh, it, was just, it was offensive. And that kind of thing will, will hurt, I think. So 
If you get Biden out on law and order and today he's going to say it's Trump's America, this is happening and I condemn all violence. And then Trump is going to have an answer, I'm sure, probably in person. And then we know he's going to Kenosha despite the fact the governor asked him not to. And I, you know, I, I think he's reaching out to the uh, Blake family and we'll see how that goes. So far, they've been unsuccessful. But when the questions start about his agenda, what Chris Christie has said is the more questions he answers as a moderate, the more the left will leave him. And for example, this is how difficult it could get for Joe Biden if he actually has to campaign. Listen to Bernie Sanders, cut six. Joe understands that we need to make public colleges and universities and trade schools tuition free for working families. The United States is the only major country not to guarantee health care for all people. While Joe Biden and I disagree on the best path to get to universal coverage, his proposal will greatly expand access to health care and make it more affordable for tens of millions across this country. So Bernie wants universal health care. He wants free college. He wants to double the minimum wage, and I think he's committed to that. Uh, I'm not sure how many small business owners are willing to blow up their budget for that could put a lot of people out out of business. The more you drill down on what separates Joe Biden from the left, the more the left could separate from Joe Biden. Listen, this is why you did not hear too many policy specifics in the Democratic Convention, because... The more specific you get, the more nailed down you are, the more at war you are with your own party on some specifics when it comes to policy. And Donald Trump's campaign knows that. So they're going to continue to hammer specifics on policy specifics, and they're going to try try to draw Joe Biden out. And uh, we're in for a fascinating 65 days because I don't think – the hide-the-ball thing is going to work over time. Eventually, you have to talk about what your policy will be, what your agenda will be. And, you know, you're going to be asked questions. He has not had a, a press conference in, what, 100 days yeah. or something? I mean, it's um, – so you're going to have to be asked questions that eventually the media knows where the wedge is between <laughs> Bernie Sanders and – Joe Biden. I mean, it's typical, for example, when when you're on with Comey, when you're on with these big interviews, you have follow up. You have their past remarks. So as soon as he comes out and says, I never said this, and you can come back to him and say, well, you actually did on June 28th. You did say free college and you did say this and you did say this when it comes to taxes. And this is with where how is he going to react to that as opposed to the one question of why do you want to be president? And that's what's going to be good politicians like that because they they want to be flushed out. I think he fears it. I don't know. I don't know what he what he thinks. I I assume he's going to do the debates. But the fact that Nancy Pelosi came out and said what she said, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. Right. It doesn't happen. She doesn't just throw it out there. She was asked about the election generally. And suddenly she gets don't tell Joe Biden but I don't think he should debate. You know, <laughs> I, I was kind of a non sequitur. And, and then you add the different op-eds that came out. They didn't come out in a vacuum, right? And, and so it was portrayed as, quote-unquote, right-wing talking point that he was not going to debate. And then suddenly, you know, all these folks were saying it. And now Biden has said, no, I'm going to agree to them. 
you know, I think I do think there was a trial balloon uh, part of it that uh, was how bad would it be? I, I think it would be bad, but um, it'd be interesting to see. I, right now, they're still on track. So I want you to hear Jonathan Swan. I know you you like him a lot too. You use him on your panel. He weighed in on what's significant about where Joe Biden is going, and it's to Minnesota. Cut thirty five. He's announced he's resuming campaign travel after Labor Day, and he's going to Minnesota, which is significant. Uh, That's a state that Democrats uh, have won ever since 1972, Richard Nixon's landslide in 72. But the Trump people have been putting a lot of energy into that state. They see a profile of Trump voter there, white, non-college educated, uh, and they came pretty close last time. So that is more of a defensive move from Joe Biden. Significant, too. I think he's in Pennsylvania today, and then he's going Wednesday to Wisconsin. Do you look at Minnesota as significant for him to go? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I think that tells you a little bit. I I mean, for all of the talk about Texas and Georgia and Arizona, those are not, you know, big stops. Um, I think that they are looking at Minnesota in a very tight atmosphere. I mean, listen, Minnesota is a different kind of voter. I mean, they had a, a governor, Jesse Ventura. So um, they, they, <laughs> there's an upside for Trump there, potentially. Uh, and I think that if you look at the latest polls, and there's different polling organizations, but it's tight. It's tight there. It's tight in Wisconsin. Less so in Michigan. The Trump mm-hmm. campaign is not as uh, up on Michigan, but it may be turning. You know, depending on what this um, law and order message and and, uh, whether we're, you know, COVID continues on a on a good track or a negative track. It really depends on what happens with that. How do you explain Trump campaign not spending that much in Michigan and not spending much that last week in August? This week in August and the week before. I think that they are not, you know. They're looking at numbers in Michigan that are going the other way. They're going the Biden way. So, but you win Minnesota, you don't have to worry about Michigan. Good point. Lastly, Michael Moore is warning the Democratic Party, look out. There's a lot. The 60 percent of Trump voters are extremely motivated. And then Bill Maher said this, cut nine. Maybe it's just their convention bump got to me. Yeah. But I'm feeling less confident than I was a month ago. I feel very nervous. Yeah. The same way I did four years ago at this time. They looked optimistic. They look like the country isn't falling apart, even though the country is falling apart. Um, and optimism very often wins elections. Elections, every politician will tell you, are, are is about the future. So that's his sentiment. But you were there, Brett. How did you leave the two feeling? I agree with you. It was a different message. And uh, it was more specific. It was more forward-leaning. It was more kind of looking to the future. I agree with Bill Maher in that sense. Uh, I think that Michael Moore, Bill Maher, Debbie Dingell have put up the sirens and the the flares in 2016, and they're already starting to do the same thing because I think they see the movement. And I do think that the Biden campaign sees it too, hence the getting out on the trail I wouldn't be surprised if there's a shakeup internally in the Biden campaign in coming days. Wow. Do you, is that a gut feeling or do you hear, hear something? I've heard a couple things, but I mean, nothing that I can definitively say. But I'm just saying that there is internal worry 
about messaging, discipline, and Mm -hmm. remember, you have a former president who's very vocal here in the way that this campaign is being run as well. I think you're talking about President Obama. I think that's the only one that would factor in, yeah. Now, Brett, if you you have new news, would you wait to your show or would you call into our show? I'd probably wait till my show, but if you selfish. catch me on a good day, <laughs> that's if you catch me on a good day, I'll tell you. Okay, fine. I'll call you every day <laughs> and see if you have anything. All right, Brett, thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right, man. All right, watch my special report at 6. Uh, back with your calls in just a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, let's try to get to some calls real quick. Gary, listen on WFTL in West Palm Beach. Gary. Gary, you're on. All right. Uh, what a shame. Uh, Mark, listening in the villages. Mark. Hey, Brian. What's um, on your mind, Mark? How are you? Okay. Um, Michelle Obama making that statement. You know how many people are rude to me when I go out into public? Um Secondly, Antifa.com, why does um, Biden and Harris's picture show up whenever you type in Antifa.com? I know. I saw that. They told me that was some campaign gymnastics that there's, uh, I, you know, I don't know. I've I've been alerted to that, too. Uh, Here's Michelle Obama's comments. Cut 37. We were stopping to get ice cream. There was a line. And once again, when I'm just a black woman, I notice that white people don't even see me. So I'm standing there with two little black girls, another black female adult. They're in soccer uniforms. And a white woman cuts right in front of us to order like she didn't even see us. Girl behind the counter almost took her order. And then she stood up. Listen, I can't tell you how many times people jump in front of me, especially with these long lines and the social distancing thing, especially at soccer games with ice cream. Are you crazy? People go nuts. They don't care. Their kids want ice cream. Cliff, listening online in Connecticut. Cliff. Hey, Brian, I get right to the point. Listen, Brian, in 2016, I was talking to your producer. Colin Powell got three electoral votes. He wasn't even in the running. So what's what's my point? My point is that even though a state can vote in favor of a candidate, it's the electorals or the electors that have the right. They can vote any way they want. So no, again, I think they. I know the, they, there's Supreme Court ruling that 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 they have to do with the state mandate with how the state voted. They can't go. They can't out? go rogue. When did that come out? Uh, about about a month ago. Oh, a month ago. Okay, right. that's really gonna make a difference. So you mean you told me that the, the, the electorals are Yeah, I mean, they win the state. It's not going to—Tom, it's not—Cliff, uh, there's not going to be a problem. Tom, KZRG in Joplin. Tom. Yeah, I appreciate you taking my call. Hello, you there? Real quick, Tom. Yeah. Hey, I got an idea about this uh, virus and the, the expenses of it. What we need is a one-cent sales tax. We'd be hard on the people if we take 40 percent the first year— and 10% for infrastructure, then the other 50% put on Medicare, then on the, the other third. All right, we're on- talking about balancing the budget. Thanks, Tom. Uh, the real question is with the virus, it's how to live with it, not hide from it. Always take the act- offensive action while being safe. We get it. Let us go. 
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.